On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be answering some of the questions about coronavirus that maybe you have not had an answer to. Not all the same stuff. There's been so much information given to you. We're trying to get to the stuff that maybe you haven't heard an answer to, certainly that I haven't heard an answer to, and that is puzzling me about this. We'll be doing that today on the show. Uh, we're also going to be chatting about hoaxes. We talked about hoaxes on the last podcast, but we were talking more about the psychology of why we believe stuff that we really shouldn't. Today, we're talking about the specific hoaxes that are out there for coronavirus and the person who is doing a lot of work debunking them. There are some bizarre things out there. We'll talk about them. Oh, and speaking of coronavirus, since that's the theme of today and apparently every day, we're going to talk to a guy from California who lost an epic streak because of this virus. He's not sick, but something closed and he lost just a beautiful long run of doing something. What would it be? Well, I'll tell you what. Take a listen. You'll find out. It's good, though. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Some of the stuff that we've been hearing about among all the stories, among all the information we've been getting, and as I mentioned last night, if you were here, it is just a a tidal wave of information. But there are a number of things that in all the information that's coming out, I am still unclear about. And I assume that many of you have questions as well. And, you know, if you wish, just before we get into this, if you wish, if you have questions that haven't been answered yet, and you want them answered as best we can, send me an email at radley at 900chml.com. And at some point in the next few days, when we have someone on who can speak to it, I will ask your question for you, assuming it has not been obviously answered in the meantime. But let me bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, who's uh, at McMaster University. He is, he's consulted on a number of health policy projects for the Department of Information, Evidence, and Research Development, a uh, research department at the World Health Organization's Regional Office for the Eastern Mediterranean and for Health Canada. He has an expertise in medicine, education, health policy, knowledge translation, and health emergencies, uh, and many, many other things. It is a long resume. Uh, Dr. Khalid, thanks for being here today. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for speaking to you, Scott. Uh, as I say, I want to go through a few things here that seem to, for me anyway, have slipped through the cracks. They may have been answered, but I've looked around and I can't find these out. And I figure you are a person who can probably help us out with this. Uh, Hamilton right now at last count, I think, unless something just came out in the last little while, Hamilton has 19 confirmed cases of coronavirus. Considering our population and considering how it took a little while for everyone to take action on this. Should we not have a higher number? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And I loved your introduction to the segment. So I want to start by saying that and applauding you for taking the initiative to answer people's questions. I think what we're seeing a rise of in the past four days is people are hungry for knowledge and they're hungry for people to be able to translate the evidence. Um, to answer your question about the Hamilton cases, yes, we will see an increase in numbers. Uh, that is uh, a fact. We will see a double digits, uh, uh, much higher than we anticipated over time as more people return back. Uh, we have to remind the public that we've urged all Canadians come back from their break. And with that, uh, we're going to see a spike in the numbers that will increase day by day. 
That said, of the 19 that I've heard of, and I may have missed something again, but of I've heard none of the 19 that I'm aware of are what we would categorize as incredibly serious. Nobody's in ICU. Nobody mm-hmm. requires a respirator that, that I know of. Maybe you can correct me on that one. But um, all the ones that I've heard of are people who have been found to be positive and sent home to self-quarantine and look after themselves at home. In Italy, we're seeing hordes of people who are incredibly ill with this, who are dying. Why are we not seeing, uh, thankfully we're not, but why are we not seeing those cases here? That's great. That's a great question because 81% of cases are mild. So uh, that doesn't mean that this situation right now is not of uh, of seriousness. And by that, I mean that social distancing must stay in effect. But it's very important to remind everybody that out of all the cases that came out of Wuhan, China, which was where the baseline happened, 81% of the cases were mild, and 2.3% of all the cases that happened globally led to death. Uh, And that to say is that, yes, if you are tested positive for COVID-19 and you don't have an underlying medical health condition and where we deem you to be of seriousness, where you might need ventilator, uh, ventilation of the hospital, then you are self-isolating at home. So uh, for the majority of our cases in Canada, in Hamilton, they will be self-isolated at home, and that will be the home treatment for them. Is there uh, is there some sort of geographic or uh, demographic reason why we might be less likely to see more serious cases? And I mean, some of the things that I've heard, I'll go through a few of these, but I mean, one of them, the obvious one, Italy's population, apparently, according to the numbers, is considerably older on average than ours. That's going to have an impact, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. So, the, the, uh, I mean, the Italy is an interesting case because their health system is a strong health system, yet their demographic population is of older age. Uh, you could argue that we are the same in many ways. We have a very excellent, strong health system. We have an aging population in Canada. Uh, we, that's why we are li- raising the alarm everywhere about the need for self-distancing and that there is a case, there is a chance that this we might become like Italy if we don't get ahead of this now. Uh, the way I like to say it, Scott, is that right now we're in a crisis situation. Uh, and the reason for that is twofold. A, we're uncertain with what the future really holds for us. We don't know whether this is two weeks or a few months from now that we will be, will be post-COVID-19. We heard our prime minister speak today where he gave the same answer. He said, I'm not sure if this is a couple of weeks or a few months from now. And second and foremost, the threat to global security and sustainability. The average person in Hamilton and all over Canada is concerned about what the next two weeks might look like, if not the next few months. Um, and so we don't know at this point how the future would look like for us here in Canada. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Dr. Ahmad Khalid, who is a at McMaster University, is an expert in uh, health policy, in um, health crises. Uh, we're chatting about a number of the things that I haven't heard answers to yet as we've been talking. They, they come up and they sort of slide through the cracks here. And so we're getting some of the answers to those ones. We were just talking before the break, Doctor, about Italy and maybe some of the reasons why they're having so many more really serious cases. We're not having those cases yet. Another thing I heard this week, and I, I looked up the numbers to see if it was true, and it is, I just don't know if it's connected, that some of the hardest hit areas in the world right now, China, Italy, uh, South Korea, are some of also the highest smoking populations in the world. So you have people with compromised respiratory systems because so many people smoke. Could that be really a factor? Yeah, so it's still inconclusive, the evidence around that. But yes, you are right. We are seeing cases in China where 
The majority of cases happen in males. 51% was the total number of uh, people who were COVID positive were male. Uh, and a lot, a big proportion of them were smokers. I mean, it logically, it makes sense and scientifically because this is a respiratory infection. So if you are a smoker for a long period of time, you are putting your respiratory system at a, a more vulnerable position. Uh, and therefore, you are a little bit more immunocompromised and more likely to contract this virus. You mentioned that we don't know how long this is going to last for. It could be two weeks, mm-hmm. we could be months, whatever else. Now, this started, uh, we're told anyway, the story is that this virus started with one person in China, and then it spread from there very rapidly all over the place. Does that mean then that we essentially have to stay in isolation with social distancing, not until the numbers are reduced, but until we have zero? Because if there's just one person left in Ontario who has this, could they not start the whole thing all over again? I think that's a great question. So that's been the biggest uh, sort of question coming my way right now is what is the social distancing means in terms of numbers? Uh, and are, is it the, is the goal here to get to zero numbers? And the answer is simply no. We're going to still see increase the numbers. But the whole point and the goal of social distancing here is so that we can give a break to our healthcare system. We've heard over and over again this word flattening the curve. Yep. And what that means is that it's not trying to tell you that we're trying to get to patient zero. In an ideal world, yes, we are hoping for having zero number of patients having COVID-19. That's not the case here. What we're trying to do is that we know that our healthcare system can only handle so much number of patients in our facilities. We're trying to make sure that we don't get an exponential growth. So this is like doubling spike in the numbers of patients with COVID-19. We're trying to get to a manageable number over long periods of time. The good news to the general public is we've heard news coming out of China today that China has zero new cases of COVID-19 <laughs> today. So we do know that social distancing does work. It's just going to take time. Well, now just a second. Uh, sure. They have said that. This is also the country that we believe covered this up for a while and didn't exactly come open with their information right off the bat. So are you believing China that they're at zero now? Uh, I try to be optimistic and try to get people the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. Uh, I, I do agree. I mean, I, I do understand that sentiment that the, we're not 100% sure. But I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we have to trust the reports that come out of countries. That's the only reliable information we have at this point. Uh, and the cases are that there are that the reports coming out of China is that there's zero cases today. It, will that change tomorrow? Possibly. And then I, I would think it would be very irresponsible of them uh, to report zero cases when, in fact, there is any cases there still. So. When we asked, when I asked the question a moment ago about do we have to get down to zero because if there was one person left, they could potentially, I guess, theoretically start the whole thing over again. That raises the second part then. Based on other illnesses, viruses, diseases like this, do we believe that the likelihood is that once you've had it, even if you're one of the 85% who will be low symptoms or asymptomatic, that you will now have some kind of immunity to it? Uh, there's the, the evidence is just not there yet. We don't know exactly whether that would be the case. But yes, there's been studies that shown that people who have developed it, uh, like for example, we see that children are not really are, are a little bit more immune to this. And and the theory behind it, again, the science hasn't been able to prove that, is that because they've developed immunity from other viruses and other infections they've developed throughout their childhood. Therefore, they're a little bit more immune to it. I think you're opening up a very interesting angle, which is going to get a lot of research into devoted into this area to figure out, will this mean that if we get COVID again, because the likelihood is that we will get something similar to COVID in the future, Hmm. will we have developed immunity to it? And time will only tell for that. Go on, time for one more. And uh, this is... uh, 
the deaths in this country, and I think we're at four now, maybe we're, I, I don't know if we've had any more today, but a, a low number still, thankfully, seem to be, as we've mentioned, all people who are compromised, have compromised health conditions or are elderly, who are the same people generally, doctor, who you would say would be the ones dying from the flu around this time of year. We have, I think, 3,500 deaths a year from the flu, but we don't require a self-quarantine during flu season, even though thousands of people would die from that. Why not? So what we are seeing different is that it's not just the elderly anymore. You know, for Scott, for a while now, we kept saying it's really affecting people who are of older age. That's not the case anymore. What we are seeing is affecting people of middle and older age. With some reports coming of the U.S. that 20-year-olds are also getting affected by this. It hits the hardest with people who are of older age because they're immunocompromised. Their system is not functioning at its best. I like to give the example of you know, a brand new car you get from the dealership. At the beginning, it's going to be great. After many years, it's not going to function the same way. And it's going to be, you know, vulnerable to weather conditions. Same thing with this concept. People who are of older age uh, and with underlying health conditions, their system is not operating at its best. And therefore, it is more vulnerable to things like COVID-19 that really pushes the system to its max. What we're seeing is pneumonia being presented as a last stage. Uh, and that causes immediate ventilation, which often is the case that they don't make it through. I have lots more. People are uh, writing in right now with questions. I hope that we can call upon you again sometime not too far down the road because uh, I would love to have you back. Uh, Dr. Ahmad Khalid uh, from McMaster, thanks for doing this. Welcome. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last night we were chatting with a McMaster prof who talks about conspiracy theories and urban legends and those kind of things. We are talking about the psychology of hoaxes. Why is it that people would put out a hoax at a time like this? What do they hope to accomplish? And why is it that so many of us get hooked into these things? That we see this thing that seems ludicrous or completely insane and go, ah, that makes sense. Because we know it doesn't make sense. This stuff is goofy half the time. And yet we then send it on to our friend and go, did you know that if you slice your arms with a razor blade and then pour salt into them, you save Corona? I mean, no one's actually said that. I'm just, but you get the idea, like ridiculous stuff that we're willing to buy into for some reason. Well, they're out there. I mean, these things are out there all over the place. Uh, some are suspects, some are completely bonkers. As I say, I want to go over some of these. Uh, in some cases, because they're so ridiculous or funny. In other cases, because frankly, they're dangerous. Jane Letvinenko has been spending her days um, with BuzzFeed News as the official debunker of all things hoax these days. She has been uh, dragged down a rabbit hole, as it were, trying to sort out what is real and what isn't. She joins us now. Jane, thanks for doing this today. Hi, thanks for having me. Are you completely fatigued yet with wandering through the valley of crazy? <laughs> well, I've been here for about two months with this virus, so getting there. Getting, getting there. there. It is, um, these are, some of these are truly crazy, though. I mean, some of these ones you must look at and just go, seriously? You know, I try not to blame anybody who falls for these hoaxes. I think that right now there's just a lot of information coming at us. 
And everything is changing, not day to day, but hour to hour. Mm. So I'm trying to cut people some slack, even if they fall for things that seem a little bit outlandish. Hey, we've all fallen for something. I remember I was the guy who came within about a half millimeter of pressing the button to send out my pin code to uh, to some email that I got one day when I was really tired. So, I mean, anyone can... Could, I, I'm more wondering about the people who start these things, Jane. I, I'm still trying to figure the psychology of the people who decide it's a great time to send something out that's going to create chaos. Right. So there's a few different things on that. Um, one is that there's absolutely people who are either politically motivated or financially motivated that are stroking conspiracy theories, promoting false cu- cures, um, starting hoaxes. And the false cures one has been a has been a, a a big piece of disinformation that we've been watching, because it's essentially grifters online telling you that if you take enough vitamin C or zinc or colloidal silver or laser charged water, then <laughs> you can you can cure this virus or prevent yourself from infection. You know, I ended with the most outlandish one, but taking vitamin C has been uh, you know it's, it's it's pretty commonplace advice. Well, and, and I think, you know, I, I think taking vitamin C, there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't know that people should think that it's a suit of armor that you're putting on. Sure. And, you know, it's important to not overdo it with these things, to not overdo it with the garlic and the soups and the vitamins. Um, <laughs> your, your body still functions as it does. But with these cures, it's also really important to remember how this virus spreads. Even if you eat some garlic and you know, your body feels like it's gotten its vitamins for the day. Well, it doesn't mean that the external conditions have changed. It doesn't mean that the virus won't stick to you anymore. It doesn't mean that you can't pass it on. Just before we get to some of these, and I'm going to go through, because you have presented a long list on, people can go to BuzzFeed News and read all these. We don't have time to go through all of them. I'm just going to hit on a few of them. But just before we get to some of those, how do you go through, what's your method for going through and either proving or disproving? Because some of these things, it's not really all that easy. You can suspect that this is a load, but it's not always that easy to say, yeah, I can prove that this is not true. Yeah, this has been especially a case uh, with text messages, mass text messages that people are forwarding to each other saying that City X is going to shut down or saying that, you know, authorities have claimed that the public transit will stop working or that the army has been called in. And what we do is essentially we have some experts that we can call who um, provide us with very good scientific information. We rely a lot on the World Health uh, Organization. And we also look to see whether uh, a hoax with similar wording has been spreading across the globe. Hmm. So, for instance, there's been a lot of worry about the army being called in. And to be fair, in some cities it has been. But what we're saying is essentially the UK, the US, Canada, other parts of Europe, Australia are all seeing the same wording in a text message. So you should be weary because this hoax is, you know, intercontinental. Do you have, I mean, you're good at this, and I don't want to take anything away from you, but do you have special skills of discernment, or are you simply doing what everybody should be doing when they hear something like this? 
No, no, I I don't have any superpowers aside from Googling things a lot and picking up the phone and calling people who know more than I do. But but this is when we when you see something and we talked about this last night when you see something that sounds incredible rather than just assume that it's true a few clicks can often tell you whether or not it's true it doesn't take that much most most of the time. Look, here's why mis and disinformation works. It works because it heightens our anxiety or our anger or our panic, and it makes us want to do something in the moment. And for most people, doing that something means passing the message on to their friends. And I think that the reaction that we should have instead to that heightened emotional state is to just Google something and pass on the correct information instead. Sort of really step back from that first instinct of, oh God, I have to tell everyone. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting again about the hoaxes that are out there. Lots of misinformation, some intentional, some probably well-meaning, but that has become a game of broken telephone and broken down and now is not right. Whatever it is, we want you to get good information and be able to figure out what is good information because there's so much of it going on out there. Uh, The woman, one of the women, but I'll say the woman because she's been doing so much work on this. The woman who is doing a lot of the debunking and the studying of these things is Jane Litvinenko from BuzzFeed News uh, who joins us. And Jane, let's go through a few of these uh, that people have probably heard at one time or another, but they may not have seen your work yet on whether these are true or not. Uh, starting with this one, that Bill Gates is the financier for the lab at Wuhan that created COVID-19. Oh, wow. You really dug deep on that one. So we saw that hoax being spread very early on, uh, in early February, I believe. Um, there is, of course, no truth to it. Um, and what's more is that there's no evidence that the lab in Wuhan was um, in any way involved in the spread of this virus. It, it, there was a paper that just came out uh, two days ago showing that essentially there's just no possible way this virus was created in a lab. Is, and when we say there's no truth to it, is there, is there literally no truth? I, I don't know. Did Bill Gates donate to a lab at one time in good fort, in, 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 with good intentions and somehow someone said this is now the lab? Or is there literally nothing there? So the the conspiracy comes from Bill Gates being very active in uh, vaccinations and global health. Um, he has been, you know, uh, donating a fair bit of money to research, um, and he has been sort of in the health community over the last few years, and that is what people uh, have latched onto. All right, here's one that some people listening, may uh, it may spook them a little bit, and that is that if you are wearing hair weaves from China, your hair weave may contain coronavirus. No, that is not true. Uh, for the amount of time that it would take for your hair weave to ship from China to North America, uh, the virus would have already died. Um, and, of course, uh, just the, the timing of that and the science of that does not work out. There's one going around that says hand sanitizer is antibacterial. The coronavirus is a virus. Bacteria and virus are not the same. Sanitizer will do nothing for the coronavirus. So anything, all that time you're spent wiping your hands and the stuff, you're wasting your time. So before we get to hand sanitizer, the advice is that hand washing is much more effective than hand sanitizing. 
Um, in terms of effective hand sanitizers, here's where I rely on the World Health Organization quite a bit. They say that any hand sanitizer that contains 60% alcohol or more is effective. I believe the World Health Organization, um, and that is, uh, that is that debunk. And I don't know if you've actually done this one, but we've heard of people taking like vodka or other hard liquor and pouring it on their hands and wiping it because they say that's got higher, I, I don't know, have you, have you looked into that one yet? Is that one true? Right. So alcohol doesn't actually have enough alcohol content for it to be as effective as hand sanitizer. Really? Yeah. Right. Rubbing alcohol does. I would have just thought that you'd dunk your hands in vodka and away you go. But um, who wants, you and my grandma both. <laughs> who wants to waste the vodka? Um, here's one, and this one, and now this is pr- maybe a little bit predictable because this one comes from a company that's looking to sell a product, and mm-hmm. I, that will always make me a little skeptical. But there are uh, air purifying companies that are saying our air purifier can suck all the virus out of the room and you're fine. Right. So I spoke with a couple of different experts on this one, and there are industrial air purifiers that hospitals use that can prevent the spread of the virus. However, the commercial stuff that you're getting is absolutely not powerful enough. And the experts that I spoke with said that essentially opening a window is a much more effective way of airing out a room than really? an air purifier would be. Absolutely. Because I'm thinking a lot of people are thinking I've got to shut all the windows to make sure the virus doesn't get into the house rather than allowing the, the air to come in and do some help to, to help you in some way. Well, I'm just passing on what the there scientist told me. But, there, no, uh, you're probably, I'm sure you're right. Stuff, some of this stuff can be a bit counterintuitive. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, here's one that I loved uh, only because, again, it, it seems spooky enough to be something that people would latch onto. And there is, I guess there is some truth to this, but it sets a really interesting storyline, which was there was a patent filed in 2015 for something called coronavirus. And so mm. people say, look, this is a biological weapon then that has been made a long time ago and they've just released it. Right. So we already took care of the biological weapon stuff. Scientists have found there's no way that this could have been made in the lab. But here's what happened with the patent. The novel coronavirus that we see now and the disease that it causes, COVID-19, is essentially a new version of a virus that we already knew about, coronavirus. Coronavirus is responsible for many flus, including the regular seasonal flu, if I remember correctly. Um, So the 2015 patent that was filed was a patent to study the coronavirus as it appears in birds. Um, And that is sort of, that was a a big source of confusion early on. But coronavirus Mm. is a family of viruses. It is not only specific to the pandemic that we're having now. I am so tight on time. I've got 10 seconds, but I have to ask this one because everyone's seen this. We've seen the photos of the hospital that was built in a day or whatever in Wuhan. You say that's not true? Uh, The hospital has been built, but China did spread fake photos of that hospital early on. Interesting stuff. Uh, Go on to BuzzFeed News. It's just buzzfeednews.com. Look for Jane Litvinenko's stuff. It is fascinating to read about the hoaxes and what's real and what isn't real. Jane, really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this and great work. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. My first guest this hour is a victim of sorts of the coronavirus. He's not ill, 
not that I know of. He's not ill from the coronavirus. Uh, don't mean it that way. But a record-setting streak, we believe, that he had built came to a screeching halt when everything was shut down. Jeff Wrights had been to Disneyland in California for 2,995 consecutive days, every single day, until Friday when they shut the park down because of what is going on. Jeff Wrights joins us from Huntington Beach, California. Jeff, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, and yes, I am healthy. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, although i got to tell you, so close to 3,000. So close. Yep, five days short. Five uh, days. Yesterday would have marked the day. Are you devastated that it's over? Um, at first, I was. Uh, you know, it was, it was a bit shocking um, when I heard when I got the news Thursday afternoon that come Friday night they were going to be closing the gates for at least two and a half weeks, you know, possibly even longer now. On the other hand, I would think, now I don't know if this is the case or not, but I would think that if there was ever a time when you were looking for a way to stop the streak or at least have a day off from the streak, at least you now have an out. Someone gave you an out here. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I've been looking at. You know, One of the ways I've been putting it is that it's sad that I didn't get to choose the date, but it's also good that I didn't have to choose the mm. date. You know, and it's not because of myself or my family, you know, having any accidents or illness or anything. It's just that it came to an end because of other circumstances. And so, you know, I'm I'm still able to go out and have a good time. And when the park opens, I have my annual pass still that I will be returning. It just won't be on a continuously day, everyday basis anymore. Jeff, I uh, I'm around your age. You're uh, you're 47, right? Correct. So I'm in the ballpark, and I love Disney as well. My family and I were just down in Florida a couple of few months ago at Disney World. We're not too old for Disney World, but I got to ask, why that many times? Well, why why every day for 2,995 days? It wasn't something that I had planned totally. The original idea was uh, between it was a joke between uh, me and another friend that when disney ran their commercial on new year's eve 2011 about giving an extra disney day talking about the leap day 24-hour event they did in 2012 we joked around that how could it be an extra day if you didn't use the others and <laughs> at the time we were both unemployed with annual passes that have been given to us as gifts so it was a free source of entertainment so we decided to use it as a positive instead of moping around at home it gave you a chance to get out and get some smiles at the park, you know, and then, you know, still work on job searches and such. And, you know, not only that, you're, you've got pedometer apps on your phones and such. You're working on exercise to keep in shape somewhat. And along with, you never know who you're going to talk to, be it other guests or cast members. So you always work on your networking and communication. So I felt it was a really positive type thing. And then, you know, I started working at the uh, VA hospital in Long Beach and I was able to keep going afterwards, and I liked it because it became my gym and therapy session almost, in the sense that I sit all day making appointments and helping my fellow veterans, so then after work, I could get off and go over to the park and walk around, you know, get some dinner, and have a good time, and so I just kept going with it, and, you know, when the original goal was one year, and we did that and kept going, and then two years, and then the other person stopped, 
And I was just having a good time with it still. I was having fun. I was sharing uh, what I was uh, seeing with people around the world. And, you know, they were all enjoying it. And next thing you know, 1,000 days went by, 2,000 days went by. And here it is, you know, it's coming up to 3,000. And I thought about possibly ending it, too, at this point. But then it's one of those things that, you know, one of my followers who's a Club 33 member is like, hey, how about coming, you know, I'd like to see you and, you know, we could go to Club 33 on day 3333. So there's always that next magical number. And that's why I say about it being good that I didn't have to pick the number to end on because there is always that number. And so trying to figure out what is the number that you end at is can be a tough thing. Uh, did you say, by the way, in there that you're a veteran yourself? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for your service. That's, uh, that's great. Um, uh, Club 33, uh, I think I've heard of Club 33, but I don't really know what it is. Club 33 is the uh, private membership uh, club in Disneyland uh, where it's uh, thousands of dollars a year to uh, be a member. Uh, and uh, it takes, it's actually in the uh, building in New Orleans Square above Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, all throughout the uh, village up there. And, but can you get in simply by being invited or not having to pay the thousands or is there like, is there another way in? Yeah. Uh, you, if you are invited, it'd be by another member. Uh, it's not something that you can make a reservation on your own to just go into. All right. Now, Jeff is, I have to imagine, cause you've done this, you say you've, you've gone to Disneyland this many times and other people have come with you. Anyone ever say, uh, Jeff, you know, um, this is California and there's a lot of other things to do in California other than Disneyland every night after you work. And true, there there is, and that's one of the things that is has been so special. You know, Walt wanted to choose a central location where it was very accessible, and I think he did an awesome job at it because over the years, not only have I gone to Disneyland every day, but I've gone scuba diving out in the Channel Islands. I've gone to other theme parks, like down to San Diego to the zoo or uh, SeaWorld. Um, I've gone Magic Mountain. I've gone, you know, hiking up in the Palm Springs area, you know, at the top of the tramway. Hmm. And so I've gotten to do a lot of other things, not just going to Disneyland. So have there been some days in this streak then when you literally just checked in just to keep the streak going and then walk back out again or, or close to it? No. No, it's always no, been me, to really do it. Um, I, yeah, I've always made a minimum of an hour visit, but on average I was doing about three to five hours a day. Um, you know, and then other days, um, I'd stay longer. I mean, like when we had the 24 hour events, I was there for about 40 hours because I'd get there the day before and then stay <laughs> until the day after. Did you ever nearly miss one? No, no. I was Never? I, that's one of the things. I, I never did miss one. Um, I would always, you know, if I was close, it might be because they were having like a Halloween or some kind of a special event. And so I needed to make sure I was off work early enough that I could get into the park. But that was the only type of uh, thing that might make it close. But normally I kept an eye on the calendar for things like that so that I could, uh, you know, make sure that I had my schedules correct to make it into the park and enjoy my time. You must know that place better than almost anybody on staff. (laughs) Seriously, because they work at a particular ride for a period of time. You know every corner of that park, I would think. Yeah, I, I had fun joking around with some of the cast members, especially some of the newer cast members uh, when they were first starting out. And 
uh, testing them on their attraction or on uh, their uh, land that they were uh, working in, um, you know, and things like that. We joke around about, you know, well, how about this? Do you know where this is? And, you know, then it, it would be something that they would then take and go to figure out where it was to carry that knowledge on so that they could then share it with others. And I think that that's part of the fun of the magic is, you know, even like uh, hidden Mickeys. Uh, my mom at one point had bought me a gift of one of the hidden Mickey books, and I've never opened it because I enjoy either stumbling upon them myself or sharing with others and then in turn being able to share, you know, with someone else. And I think that that's and the sharing the magic is one of the things I really enjoy about the park. Do you do rides every time you go? Not every single time, but um, usually I do at least one or two attractions when I was going. You know, sometimes I was just walking around and talking with people and, and doing photography or videography. Um, but usually I hit at least one or two attractions while I was there. And which is the best one? Which, which probably is an opinion that has changed for you over the years. But right now, which is the best ride or event or attraction there? Uh, well, at this moment, I would have to say it's Rise of the Resistance. Mm. Uh, the new Star Wars um, themed attraction that just opened up, uh, you know, a few months ago here in uh, Disneyland. It opened up, uh, what? It opened up in Florida December fifth, and it opened up over here. Uh, what was it? About a month later, or a few weeks, three. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, actually, it was January, uh, January seventeenth, I think it was. Okay. Uh, that was when the uh, NAM uh, music conference was going on over at the Anaheim Convention Center. And so that was one of the reasons why I didn't go on it that opening day was because I was actually going over to the NAMM show. But has that choice arise the resistance now? You've been doing this since 2012. I'm guessing that's changed a few times over the years. Yeah. Well, my my all-time favorite has always been the Matterhorn bobsleds ever since I was a little kid. Um, You know, watching the mountaineers climbing on the mountain when they had them and then just enjoying the, uh, the roller coaster itself. But, I mean, throughout the whole resort, I, I enjoy most all of the rides and, and attractions there. Um, there's only a few, for example, Splash Mountain. I don't go on a, on a daily basis or that often because a lot of times if I'm coming straight from work, I don't want to get soaked in my work mm. clothes. So I'll save that for special occasions on the weekends or something. Anything, uh, Jeff, that, that we like to do a lot and we do if it's a favorite food or something, there are times... I think when we're not as excited about it, there's these, you know, a lot of the time we love it, but there's times when, you know, if you were going to eat ice cream every single day, there's times when it's not quite as exciting. Have there ever been times when you've walked around and said, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, this is, I'm a little tired of this. No, luckily, um, I always tried to mix things up. Either I'd, uh, walk in one direction and then the next day I'd go a different direction. Uh, so I'd see different people, different things. I, and even though, like I just mentioned, the Matterhorn being my favorite, I didn't ride it every day. Um, I always tried to mix things up in that respect and uh, what my goal for the day may be. You know, or if there was a special event, I'd you know, go to aim at that and then you know, check things out after. You know, but everyone has different ways that they enjoy. I mean, uh, there's one, uh, another guest, John Hale, who has a current record of over 12,000 rides on Radio Springs Racers. For him, he enjoys doing that. (laughs) 
That's that is commitment. I'll give you that. That is commitment. It, it, exactly. And you know, for me, I think I would personally get burned out if I were to do that same thing. And I think that's where I was lucky is because I was able to really mix it up. And every day I went to Disneyland, but some days I would also go to California Adventure. Um, but if I did, that didn't count as my visit. Only Disneyland counted as the visit. So if I went to California Adventure, that was using the magic of the park hopper. Uh, are you married, Jeff? No, I have a girlfriend right okay. now. Well, uh, that that okay, that'll do. Does she has she come along with this, or does she say no, Jeff? I, I can't keep up with you on the Disneyland thing. That's your thing. Um, she comes up quite often, but she doesn't go every day like myself. I mean, since we've been going out, she was going to school, getting, uh, earning her master's degree mm-hmm. and credentials. Uh, she's a special education high school teacher, so. Uh, she's, you know, she sometimes is pretty busy, uh, having to take care of her students and such. For so, sure. you know, we, we meet up outside of the park sometimes, you know, I'll make my visit and, uh, then we'll get together and grab some dinner or something afterwards. You know, it just depends on what the schedule holds. So when they open it up again, whenever that is going to be, are you going to be in line on day one to get right back in there? Or now that the streak is done, do you say, you know what? I think I can probably take a few days away. <laughs> I may, you know, we'll see. It depends on when they finally uh, reopen it. Um, you know, it depends. But I, I may pop in for that first day just to say, hey, I made it back on opening day. But to me, my streak has ended uh, because it's no longer a consecutive day. The park has stopped. Uh, is, the park has stopped, but the calendar has not. And so through that... I'm no longer, even though I've had people say, hey, it wasn't your choice, the park's closed, you're not missing anything, but to me it's not a consecutive calendar day any longer. So that's why Friday the 13th was my last day. Appropriate, huh? Disney Appropriate. Trip. Yeah. What a day for yeah, that. Yeah, it really was. Uh, but January Jeff, you know, first to start. you're a young man, there is plenty of time to start a new streak and get up to five or 6,000 straight days. <laughs> Yeah, I think at this point, I'm going to take those mousers and pass them on to another <laughs> mouseteer to have fun. Um, you know, we I was joking around uh, in the park on Friday, and if someone were to uh, go ahead and start the streak again and say the park opens up on April 1st like they had planned, they wouldn't get up to my level of uh, visits until June of 2028. So... You know, I I did this for just over eight years, so I think it's time for someone else to have that fun, and I'll I'll continue to share the magic on social media and everything, but it's just not going to be every day like it has been. It's uh, it's a great story. Uh, the uh, the Orange County Register referred to you as the Iron Man of Disneyland. I think I got to get a T-shirt or something made, or a tattoo or something with that one because it has a ring to it. Uh, Jeff writes. There, there was a lot of people that uh, joked around because of you know how I was going to hit three thousand. They wanted. To, uh, I know some of my followers have made up buttons. And, you know, I love you three thousand that uh, they were going to wear uh, yesterday. Well, now they're collector's items. Uh, yeah, exactly. Jeff, Jeff writes. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Sorry you couldn't make three thousand, but I do appreciate the time. Thank you, Scott. You have a great evening. You as well. 2,995 straight days at Disneyland. I, I mean, I love Disneyland. Disney World. I've never been to, I, I have been to Disneyland years and years and years ago, but Disney World, I love Disney. Not too old for Disney. I don't know if I could do it 2,995 straight days. I don't know if I could do that, but good for him for, for doing it. Uh, you can go look up 
see a picture of Jeff and read more about him. Uh, the headline is Disneyland's coronavirus closure and one man's 2,995-day streak. That's the Orange County Register. You can look that one up online if you're interested. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.